St. Luke 22. Begin reading at verse 31, if I may. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before thou shalt thrice deny that thou hast known me. And he said, What? When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. For a few moments I want to talk about the fact that the sifting has begun. The sifting has begun. Peter to me was a very interesting man. I think Peter was a man that of all the twelve disciples, I can relate more to Peter perhaps than any other disciple mentioned in the Word of God. Perhaps every one of us in this room, we have a little bit of the Peter characteristics uh, uh, within us as well. Uh, Peter was a man, if you know, had his good days, and Peter had his bad days. He'd exercised tremendous faith one day, and the next day it seemed to blow it. Many times he did not exemplify wisdom uh, in the manner or the means, perhaps, where he should. I believe that Peter was a big man, physically speaking, as well. He was strong, determined, impetuous, born leader. And yet we know he often was wrong, trusting his own strength, trusting his own wisdom, trusting his own experience. And more times than not, uh, Peter was the type of man that would put his foot in his mouth. He had what we call uh, the hoof of mouth disease. You ever been there? Uh, we all can do that from time to time. There were times that Peter would show great courage, and then other times he seemed to simply lack wisdom and fall flat of his face. Peter was handpicked by Jesus Christ with the other 11 disciples, and we know that Peter, James, and John were part of what was known as an inner circle. Uh, Peter would take all the disciples, but he'd take Peter, James, and John and do things with them, show them things uh, that the other nine disciples weren't able to see or be part of. I honestly believe that Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart. I do believe that. Uh, he left his fishing business not to become a keeper of an aquarium, but he left his fishing business in order that he might become a fisher of men. And I believe he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's signature uh, moment came when he showed the greatest faith of the 12 disciples when they were in the boat on a storm of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Bible said that there was a tempestuous sea out there. I mean, the winds were rocking and rolling, and the waves were uh, beating on that little boat. And, and yet they look out and they see somebody walking on the water. And that day, that was an omen of bad luck, bad fortune. Uh, but Jesus walking on the very thing they were frightful of, and he said, uh, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter, impetuous as he was, hey, Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you. And Jesus simply said, come. And Peter put that big old 13 across that boat, said on the word C-O-M-E, and he walked over to where Jesus was at. And then all of a sudden, he gets his eyes on the waves and his ears up on the wind, and he begins to sink. And he cries out to Jesus for help. And apparently Jesus rescued him. We don't know how they got back in the boat. But Peter got back in the boat safe and sound. Now we condemn Peter uh, for sinking. But may I remind you, Peter was the only one that had enough faith to get out of the boat to begin with. And Peter was the first one to recognize and, and, and say that Jesus Christ uh, was the Son of God. And Jesus Christ indeed uh, was the Lord. Uh, with that being said, but he would soon deny Jesus Christ. Now during the Last Supper, uh, Jesus told the disciples that one among them would betray him. 
Peter boasted, I'll remain true to you. I'll go to prison to you. I'll never deny you or anything of the such. And yet, what did he say? Peter said, who is he that will betray you? Now, friend, you can believe what you want to, but I believe Peter wanted to know who it was because I think Peter wanted to take him out back and box his ears. That's the kind of man Peter was. Lord, who is it going to betray you? Who is it? I'll take him outside and I'll put Dukes to, uh, to chin and I'll straighten him out right here and there. I think that's what Peter had in mind. He was simply a fisherman following the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible records the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifference of this man by the name of Peter. First of all, note Peter the boister, boaster. Then Jesus drops a bombshell on him. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you've returned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go to be both put in prison and death. And he said to Peter, before a rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times that you know me. What a blow that was. Jesus said, one among you will betray me. And Peter you're going to deny me. One will betray the Lord, the other will deny the Lord. And Peter's going, no way, Jesus. <laughs> Not me. I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. I know you are a smart rabbi, but I will never deny you, and I will prove that to you. Again, hoof and mouth disease. Peter is probably thinking to himself, you don't know me. I'll never deny you. Let me remind you of something. Sometimes the sins that we think are the furthest from us are sometimes the ones that are closest to us. Sometimes the sins that we think are furthest from us are the ones that's knocking upon our door, and many times we don't even notice that. Let me point out a couple of things, if I may. Satan was the one coming after Peter. And Satan is the one that comes after you and he comes after me. There is a real enemy in this world. He's not made of folklore uh, that has a red suit with a long tail with claws and hoofs and, and a pitchfork and horns on his head made up of folklore. There is a real enemy out there. The Bible names him as Satan and he has his imps of darkness known as demons and they're coming after me and they're coming after you with all the power, all the authority and all the deception that they can muster up. Why? There are many reasons that Satan comes after you and me. But one main thing, he wants to rob us of our faith. And if he robs us of our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, he wants to come to rob, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take the crown that God has placed upon your head one day. He wants to make sure that you lose your way with God. He wants you out of the church. He don't want you to worship the Lord. He don't want you to read the Word of God. He does not want you to pray. He wants you to go to hell and bypass heaven all the way around and that's the enemy that we have against us today to keep us out of heaven and to rob us of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. Now, brothers and sisters, the landscape of Christianity in the United States is rapidly changing and unfortunately not for the better but it's changing for the worse. In between the years of 2018 and 2019, Pew Research did a study of how many people in America described themselves as Christians, those that said, I am indeed a born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The study reported that 65% claimed to be Christians. Now, on the surface, that looks like, wow, 65% of Americans, that's great. But when you compare that uh, to a decade earlier, you see something going on. At that time, the number of people uh, claiming to be a Christian was 77%. Just over a period of 10 years, there are 12% less people following the Lord than there were 10 years prior. Think about the church house in America. 
According to the Gallup poll, church membership dropped 45% in the year 2020 of Americans claiming to go to church. Membership in 2018 compared to 70% claiming to be church members and in 1999. Now, I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with that. I know that most churches statistically have lost 30% of their congregations since 2020. That could probably be true here. The people that have died and the people that moved away and some that are still just staying home because uh, of their immune system being so, so low. But still, that's sad in America. Many churches today are closing their doors and many pastors today are walking away from the pulpit because they've had it. They're up to here with the problems. They're up to here with everything that's going on. Let me tell you, it's hard today to pastor in this pandemic that we're going through. Uh, no matter what you do, it's wrong. If you do it this way, it's wrong for them. If you don't do it that way, it's wrong for them. It's tough. And preachers are walking away uh, by the masses. So let me ask you a question. Do you think the church is gaining ground are we bringing more people to the Lord now than we did 10 years ago? And the answer is no, it's less today than it was 10 years ago. Barner Research said in April 2020 reported that 51% of Americans believe in the all-powerful God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. 51% of Americans believe that. But 56% of Americans believe in the devil. They don't they believe in the one that was created, but they don't believe in the one who did the creation. Yeah. I'm here to tell you there's a devil lurking, an evil one lurking, to try to rob us of our faith in Jesus Christ the Lord. Now against this background, I want to ask you something. Let this resonate in your ears. Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. When the end comes, when the rapture takes place, whether it be men and women practicing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of glory or whether it be fewer and fewer than ever before. What is Satan hoping to gain by attacking Peter? It was not just simply that he wanted to attack Peter. He wanted to attack the faith of this man called Peter. And Jesus said, I pray that your faith should not fail. Satan was not simply attacking Peter. He was attacking the faith of Peter. And Jesus Christ said, I'm not going to pray that you don't fail. He said, but I am going to pray that your faith will not fail. And with that being said, and only confirmation to the words that Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is both a fruit of the Spirit as well as a gift of the Spirit. And it refers to being a fruit of the Spirit. He says, will there be faithfulness on this earth when I return? Now, we talked about Peter the boaster. Now, let's look at Peter the denier. The Passover meal was over. The bellies of the disciples were full. Their minds were troubled and their spirits were stirred. Jesus told the disciples, let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane there. I'm going to pray. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples there. He takes Peter, James, and John a little further and says, watch with me for an hour. And while Jesus prayed, only God knows how long, he comes out, they're asleep. He goes back and he prays for another length of time. He comes out and they're asleep. He goes and prays another length of time and comes out and wakes them up. And he simply says, let's get going. The one who betrays me is at hand. Now, as Peter was awakened, he was met with Judas and all those that were coming out to arrest Jesus. And once again, Peter takes matters into his own hands. He who went to sleep at the switch now reacts and takes a sword and he takes the, the sword and he whops off uh, the priest, the high priest Malchus' servant and the ear went to the ground. And Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword, the cup the father given me shall I not drink it. 
Now, Peter proved his love for Jesus. He proved his willingness to die for Jesus. He proved his willingness to everything he wanted to do, but he failed in his application. I remind you, brothers and sisters, he was not brave when he took that sword. He was simply reacting. And there are times in our life we think we're brave in our faith, but if we're relying on our own strength, relying on our own wisdom, relying on our own will, we have denied the will of Jesus Christ in our life, and we come up short every time. Have you ever been to the place where just you react? I think we all can because of fear. Years ago, before our daughter was born, our son was just a little boy, I had hurt my back really bad, and I was on a cane. And I was called to do a wedding in the Breaks. That's a mountain between Kentucky uh, and, and, and Virginia. Beautiful place. I couldn't drive my five-speed car with a clutch. With my leg and everything was hurting so bad. It all put together there. So my friend let me borrow his brand-new Cougar. That thing would fly. I'm driving that thing down there. We go up that mountain. Look like a rattlesnake falling a bulldozer, you know? Or a bulldozer falling a rattlesnake, I should say. And, and we get there, and we had to go down this mountain of rocks, and on that cleft of the rock is where we had the wedding. Then I worked my way back up, and we were over with, and we're meandering down the mountain, and we get back on Route 460, which is a four-lane. Speed limit was 55, and around those curves, you couldn't do 55. But I looked down the speedometer, and I was doing 70. And my wife says, you're speeding, and there's a state policeman. I went, oh, and I let off on the gas. And she said, his brakes is coming after you. I said, yeah, I know. You know what I did? Fear. Up the side road I go. She said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, but I think it's wrong. <laughs> Fear caused me to do something I would never do. So I, I turned the thing around. I came back out, and here comes the police officer, and he sees me. And I mean, he hit the brake, and all four wheels, smoke coming out. And that thing's just jig-jagging down the road. And he turns around on the wrong side of the road and comes back down and goes, you, here, you, here. I went, I'm dead. So I pull across the road, and here we are, front end to front end. I said, Donna, I know this guy. We were an hour away from home. I know this guy. He walks up and says, Mr. Davis, Mr. Davis, why did you try to run from me? I said, I panicked, Gary. He said, I'd have got you know my voice. I went, no, you wouldn't if I had turned myself in. That's what I said to myself, not to him. He said, Miss Davis, do you know that your husband used to beat me up when we were kids? <laughs> and I said, and he's about to get even. He said, Miss Davis, you know how much your insurance would go up and how much longer you'd have to work if I gave you the ticket that he deserves? I said, Gary, you have every right in the world to put me in jail and throw away the key. He said, no blood, no pain. He walked off and I reached out the window and got him by the lap of the neck and pulled him back in the car. My wife said, I can't believe you did that to a state policeman. I said, Gary, let me explain what happened. I went through the whole tirade, how I hurt my back. It's the first time I've been in the car, blah, 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 blah. He said, you know, my mother always liked you. And I said, oh, I love your mom. I can't wait to go see her. <laughs> what am I saying? I panicked. When we panic, we do things. It don't make it right or wrong. We're human. That's what I like about Peter. The man, we see the humanness of Peter. When the chips were down, he did not allow the Spirit of God to move upon him. He did not listen to the Spirit of God. He took matters into his own hands. He takes out a sword. And here's a Christian, if you will, a child of God, inflicting pain on somebody that didn't even deserve it. 
When we take matters into our own hands, we hurt people. We take matters in our own hands. We think we're doing the will of God, but it comes from the flesh. And we're doing our own will, trust our own strength, use our own wisdom. We're denying the will of Jesus Christ the Lord. Peter's greatest denial, though, it comes after the rest of Jesus when he verbally denied he knew the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. The arrest was made. Peter began to follow from afar. He separated himself from the Lord. Fear begins to grip him. And all he sees is his dreams are unraveling. His hope is unraveling. The Savior of the world, the one who turned uh, uh, water into wine, uh, the one who healed the sick and raised the dead, is now being led off like a sheep to the slaughter. And they are now mocking him and making fun of him. And they knew that Jesus ultimately was going to die. Look what Dr. Luke said. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was falling in the distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the firelight and looking intently on him, said, This man was with him too. He denied, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, another saw and said, uh, You're one of them too. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about an hour had passed, another man began to sit, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord uh, turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. How could Peter be so strong in the garden? and so weak at this point. Peter denied Jesus twice, but by the third time, he cursed. He swore. He used words that were contrary. Why? What made Peter answer the slave girl? Because of fear. Simply fear. Fear that if I tell you all I'm with him, the same lot that's going to Jesus may be the same lot that falls upon me. You're going to beat me. You're going to torment me. And eventually, I'm going to die. Peter is not, Peter's not the only one of us that knows what fear is all about. Brothers and sisters, we all go through times of fear. We all know what it feels like to be fearful. Satan was simply not attacking Peter. Satan was attacking Peter's faith. That's what Satan's going for to do our faith. Jesus said, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. Understand, we're all going through things where our hearts are full of fear. We're going through things where our faith is being tried. We're going through things where we say, God, why was that prayer not answered? What did my loved one die? Uh, why did I get laid off from the job? The list goes on and on. And our faith is being bombarded everywhere you go. But Jesus said, I pray that your faith will not fail. Notice, Jesus did not pray that Peter would not fail. He prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Now get this. Where does temptation come from? Satan. God cannot tempt him, neither does he tempt any man. The flesh will lead us to do wrong, but the Satan will try to lead us to do wrong as well. The thing about Satan is this. He'll come up when our faith is weak, and he'll begin to sow doubts in our mind. He'll sow fear within our mind, and he'll say, go ahead and take that drink. It'll make you feel good. Uh, go ahead and take another drag off of that left-handed cigarette called marijuana. Uh, you need a little buzz today and relaxation. Uh, go ahead and take a look into that magazine and get a little lust going on there because it'll fulfill something in your heart and mind. Uh, just go ahead and take that little few dollars. I know about another wiser, and, and, and you, you'll be happy with that extra money you just stole and nobody will know it. That's the way the devil does. He tricks us. He dupes us. He deceives us. He pushes us and we go into it and the same devil that did those things and said it will make us feel good is the same one now that condemns us. 
What a fool you are. How weak you are. You call yourself a Christian. And the list goes on and on and on. Brothers and sisters, there's a battle for our faith today. We've got to have faith. Satan's out to rob you of your faith. Beloved, there's a battle for our faith. Faith is only as good as the object that we place it in. If our faith is in a preacher, if our faith is in a prophet, if our faith is in a church, if our faith is in a personality, I want you to tell you, friend, they will let you down. If your faith is in a religion, you already will throw in the towel now. If your faith today is in yourself, you've already been deceived. But we've got to have a faith in somebody, a faith in something that's greater than the world, a faith that's greater than the devil, a faith that's greater than fear, a faith that's greater than temptation. I'm here to tell you, his name, if you don't know it, is Jesus Christ the Lord. I've got faith in my Jesus. He is my rock upon which I build my life. Uh, he is my healer when I get sick. Uh, he is my counselor when I have a problem. He is my joy. He is my peace. Uh, he is my everything this morning. I uh, thank God he is my provider. Uh, he is my soon coming king. He is my Lord. And thank God he is my God. There is none beside him. I put my trust in him. He is the author and the finisher of my faith. He has given me the faith, the measure of faith I need to be saved, and I want to exercise my faith and starve my doubt. I want to stand up and proclaim I know the Word of God, and I want to live the Word of God, and the God who gave me that Word will do exceeding and abundantly above anything we ever ask or think of Him. My faith is in Jesus today. Jesus said in the last day that many people's hearts would fail them for fear. Fear is faith in reverse. A fear is paralyzing. Fear brings torment. The acrostics for fear is false evidence appearing real. Let me tell you something, friends. I'm deeply concerned about the lack of faith of many professing Christians today. People who once walked with God. People who once sat in church with right beside of you and me. People that are often used in ministry. People who sang beautiful solos. People that had ministries. And today, they have made shipwreck of their faith. Paul told young Timothy, this charge I commended to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding fa faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith had made shipwreck. Professing Christians making shipwreck of their faith do so by sinning against their consciousness. Yes. Professing Christians who make shipwreck of their faith do so by sinning against their conscience. Bad doctrine usually starts with bad conduct and usually with secret sin. Paul mentioned Hymernius and Philetus. They deliberately rejected their good conscience in order to defend their ungodly lives. Paul did not tell us exactly what they did, but Hermenius said that the, was or the uh, resurrection was already past. And with that in being, he's talking about all the believers are being resurrected from the dead. That's false doctrine. And then we come up with this guy by the name of Philetus. Some call him Alexandra. We're not sure what he did, but I know one thing. He withstood Paul's teaching by false doctrine. The only way to succeed is to hold fast to faith and a good conscience. It's not enough to proclaim faith with our lips. We must live our life of faith out every day out loud. One man said of his hypocritical pastor, he said, the man is so good a preacher, he should never come out of the pulpit. But he's such a poor preacher, I'm such a poor Christian, he should never enter into the pulpit.
That's kind of a sad commentary. A good conscience is important to good warfare and a good ministry. And Satan is doing everything he can to rob the believer of faith today. He isn't simply attacking you as a believer. He isn't simply attacking me. He's attacking our faith. Now, how does that look like, Pastor? There are too many people making shipwreck of their faith. Now, I'm not a, 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 a boat guy at all. I always thought boat says bring out another thousand. That's what I thought boat meant. A guy told me one day, he said, the greatest time about a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. I don't know. I'm an airplane type guy. I'd rather have those. But to my knowledge, there are only two ways for shipwreck. That's a navigational error and a mechanical error. And Paul told young Timothy, there are two reasons people shipwreck their faith, and that's doctrinal error and moral failure. If you do not want your faith to run aground, you and I had better know and have sound biblical doctrine. Hear me. We need to know the fundamental truths of Scripture. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is sin? What is salvation? Who is the devil? We need that doctrine in our heart, that doctrine in our mind. If we don't, we're going to let our faith run aground. Let me tell you this. It's not just enough to know these things. We had better practice these things. For he that knoweth to do good and does not do it, to him it's what? It is a sin. Uh, you can know all the doctrines of the world, but if your life does not line up with the doctrine, you're going to run your faith aground. Paul tells Timothy to keep a clean conscience, pursue righteousness, practice and train for godliness. Friend, you can take the doctrine and apply it to your life. Examine your life. This Bible is a mirror uh, to reflect the life that we are living. I'm going to tell you, the mirror is not going to change. We're the one that's going to change. Amen? And we've got to line up with the Word of God. Without correct doctrine, without a life that matches that doctrine, we're going to run aground, make shipwreck of our faith as Paul uh, told Timothy. Now if you do these things, you're going to be able to bypass all the rocks uh, that are sticking up in the water uh, that Satan has placed there for you and me to destroy our faith. Remember the words of Jesus. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Church, I don't want to end this message on a negative note this morning, but I want to share a few things if I may. There's a lot of professing Christians today not going to make it. It's sad. I've said there's a lot of professing Christians today that simply are not going to make it. People who used to love the Lord, people who have a ministry, people that are involved in church and Christian service, they're simply not going to make it, make shipwreck with their faith, usually because it's due to some silly, immature thing. Our faith must be grounded in the Word of the living God. Our faith must be grounded in the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. If false doctrine does not deceive them, then immoral life is going to destroy them. One stems from the other. The professing Christian who blatantly and boldly living an immoral life is eventually going to make shipwreck of their faith. They might be able to hide their sin for a while, might be able to put it under the carpet for a while, but eventually the truth of it will come out. I have heard people say, well, I know I'm living with this woman. I know I'm having sex with this individual. I know that I'm gambling. I'm doing all these things immorally, but God seems to still bless me, and God still seems to use me, so therefore he must condone what I'm doing. No, he does not. That's God's mercy, and that's simply God's grace giving time to repent. Let me tell you something, church. We, God's word is not going to change for you, and God's word is not going to change for me, but he gives us the power and the ability 
opportunity to change and improve that we might line up with the Word of God. Just because somebody might be living an immoral life, uh, living in a sin or adultery, fornication, whatever the case may be, and even though God may use an individual, that does not mean that God has placed His approval upon the person. It simply means that God can work through some people He cannot work in. God worked through a jackass one time, but he was a loss of bone high weeds. God used a raven to feed somebody one time, but that bird wasn't saved. God can work through things he cannot work in. But we need a sound doctrine because, friend, when all hell begins to huff and puff its winds of adversity against us, we better have a faith not in what we do, but a faith in whose we are to know that greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. Many are listening to false doctrine because they like the personality of the preacher, because they like the sensation of the supernatural, because they like their church. But if the doctrine is wrong, it will eventually bring poison to our spirit and it will cause our faith to run aground. And then there are those who have gotten their feelings hurt in church. He didn't speak to me. He didn't call me. He didn't visit with me when he should have. He said the wrong thing in the sermon. He hurt my feelings. Go to Lowe's, get a ladder, and get over yourself. If our faith cannot survive a few misunderstandings among ourselves, what kind of a faith do we have? I'm here to tell you, I'd hate to stand before God and say, I quit serving God because so and so didn't speak to me. Isn't it amazing? How many of you remember before you got saved? Any of those on the bar stools or whatever it might be on Saturday night? Remember the Saturday night times? These scars came from something, and they went from falling down. The, the break came from falling down, but not that. Man, we could have knuckle to chin on Saturday nights. By Monday morning, we was out there doing it all over again, biggest old buddy in the world. I mean, what I'm talking about. But won't let that happen in church. We hold grudges against our brothers and sisters for some of the silliest things I've ever seen. And friend, I'm telling you, it's serious business. Which serious business? If the average preacher talked to his congregation in the way the way Jesus talked to people of the Pharisees and Sadducees, we'd empty churches today. If the average preacher preached the way that Paul wrote his epistles uh, to, to the Corinthians and the Ephesus and, and, and Colossae and Philippi and so forth, we would empty churches by the masses. It breaks my heart when I think back through the years of people that's lost their faith over some of the most insignificant, stupid things. I said stupid. I didn't stutter. Stupid things. Some Christians fell over a stupid tree on the, and hit every limb on the way down. Say oh, amen with me this morning, church. I feel the anointing here. Come on. I didn't get to be the lead in the church drama. I'm not coming back. <laughs> I didn't get to sing my special on Sunday morning. They didn't make me a deacon. I didn't get to teach that Sunday school class like I wanted to. He didn't call me. He didn't visit with me. No one ate my casserole at the picnic on the 4th of July. You think I'm kidding you. You think I'm, be, I'm not being facetious at all. They didn't eat my casserole at the picnic at 4th of July, and I'm not coming back. Now, how would you like to stand before God on the day of judgment 
and say, Lord, the reason I dropped out of the church is <laughs> that casserole, I, I got it at Walmart and warmed it up. <laughs> and they didn't eat it. And I'm not going back to church. I got a feeling God will bless you, and I don't think so. You want to talk about pain and rejection and hurt and unfair treatment? Look to Jesus. Until somebody is beating you black and blue and put nails in your hands and spit on you and put thorns in your brow and did the thing, don't you talk to me about your little hurt feelings. And I'm not being cavalier, I'm just being honest. I get so sick and tired, I've been hurt. We've all been hurt in the work of God. And if you haven't, stay around, you will be. Peter, through his humanists, is that a word? It is now. Being human, he takes a sword, and he wasn't heading for the man's ear. He was going for the juggler. The last miracle that I can think of that Jesus Christ did prior to his dying on the cross was fixing a blundering mistake of one of his own children. The wound was real. Everybody saw the ear in the ground and the blood just pulsating outside of his head. And I don't believe they're going, oh God, I'm hurting. And a whole lot worse. There could have been an insurrection. But Jesus in his wisdom, the first Mr. Potato Head in the world, put it back on and healed him. (laughs) The pain was real. The pain was noticeable. But the pain was temporary. When Jesus healed the last blundering mistake of one of his disciples, now the Malchus servant had a a choice. I talk about the wound or I talk about the healing. I talk about the one that wounded me or I talk about the one who healed me. And that's what we we do. And you tell you what he said. Let me tell you what he did. Some people's tongues so long they can sit in the living room and lick the pots in the kitchen. Are you with me? Friend, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being honest. I'm seeing people's faith fall today. I've been hurt over and over and over. You've been hurt. Let's say praise God we're human. We're going to make mistakes. Some mistakes were done intentionally to me and some were not done intentionally to you. We've all been in that same boat. Friend, I tell you what, God's invested something in you. I want to invest something in you. You're somebody today, not because of what you do or don't do or say or don't. You're somebody. You are a work in progress, praise God. Your names are written down on the handbook of life, and I want to invest in you. I believe in you. Believe in me as well. And if we can't find grace to forgive each other when we blow it, and we're going to blow it. Now, how many of you people never have an argument with your spouse? All right, all you henpecked people out there, let me... You remind me of a guy one time, he died and went to heaven. If y'all get done for I can, you can leave, but I'm having fun. The old guy died one time, he was in heaven, there's a line of them, henpecked husband just as long as it could be, and one man standing in the line, no henpecked husband. The guy said, what are you standing here for? He said, that's where my wife told me to. <laughs> we argue with our spouses, we argue, argue with myself, do you? Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get, are you, say it with me, we're human. We're not always going to agree. We can disagree agreeably. Come on, that was weak. <laughs> Swallow your pride and say it. We can disagree agreeably. We don't have to be twins to be brothers. Don't that just feel good all over? Unless you're carnal. Now, if you're carnal, I don't want to do that. <laughs> 
I'm going to tell him. It don't work that way. Church, if you, ever, if you ever find a perfect church, the day you walk in it, you mess it up. The day I walk in it, I mess it up. There's an enemy out there sowing discord, rumors, innuendos, everything he can to rob you of your faith. Amen. And one of the ways he does it is bringing division among the body of Christ. Don't tolerate it. Don't put up with it. Peter was warming himself by the fire. He let the fire of God diminish out of his heart. And then Peter came under fire when the enemy, using the women and the men, you're wanting, no, 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 I'm not. When Peter denied the Lord and the cock crowed, Jesus' eyes looked upon him and, and like I told you, Peter, you've trusted your wisdom, you've trusted your strength, you've trusted yourself when you're going to trust me. Come on. But I pray, not that you wouldn't fail, but I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Amen. And Peter wept his way back to repentance. Now let me tell you something. Judas, who denied or, or, or betrayed the Lord, he was in the same predicament, but what did he do? He went out and killed himself. The same Jesus praying for Peter, I'm sure, was praying for Judas. But Judas went out and killed himself. His faith failed. He was so guilty. He was so full of condemnation. He listened to the devil. But he could not rid himself of his own shame and his own sin and of his own demise. He would not humble himself. His faith was rocked, and in hell he burns. Peter was in the same predicament. But he wept. He wept his way back to salvation. And when Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus said, tell my disciples and Peter. And Peter. He and Peter to meet me. And then he went back. I have another story there I could talk about, but I won't. Long story short. No, long story longer. He went to the upper room waiting on the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. Now Peter was the one that's standing by the fire, and then he came under fire. But on the day of Pentecost, that old boy was on fire. That his faith did not fail. Because Jesus prayed for him. Amen. The sifting has begun. Through the church of America today, we've been sifted. And everything that can be shaken, church, is going to be shaken. But if you're building your life upon the rock of God's salvation, if you've got your word, the word of the living God hiding in your heart, you know the doctrine and you're living that doctrine. And if you've got a prayer closet where you're seeking the face of God, if you're for the Holy Spirit, the enemy's going to huff and puff and try to bring you down. He's going to attack relentlessly. But Jesus prays that our faith will not fail. We attend church to worship the Lord, to receive his word, to edify each other, and to help each other grow in their faith. Brothers and sisters, we've got more mountains to climb, more valleys to cross through, more demons to conquer, and more victories the Lord wants to give. And how, brethren it is, how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for it's there the Lord will command the blessing. Satan is after your faith, but I'm not going to give mine away. How about you?